Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome to Cheaper Than Therapy, a podcast that journeys into conversations that demystify, destigmatize, and desensitize what goes on both inside the therapy room and in daily life. I'm Vanessa Bennett. And I'm Danae Logan. And we are seekers, soul sisters, and holders of sacred space. Every week, we sit down for soul-provoking conversations with fellow seekers, thought leaders, change makers, and even real people during live coaching sessions as they navigate the hard work it takes to be a human. This is Cheaper Than Therapy. We have news for you all. Yeah, we are so excited to share that as so many of you have asked for us to host more than just one week-long immersive experience, we are bringing another retreat into the fold this year. And this time we're headed to Nosara, Costa Rica, June 3rd through 10th. Yeah. We heard you. We heard you. We're doing more. We're trying. <laughs> this time, though, we're actually bringing in two of our dear friends and colleagues to come along with us and join the party. So we're going to have Ashley Torrent and Millie Murillo there. Um, and honestly, the four of us together, I don't know, our powers combined, drawing from our collective work in the healing modalities of psychotherapy, coaching, mediumship, astrology, somatic movement, group processing, all the things. We'll be supporting you all in reclaiming every aspect of the most fulfilling life you can possibly live. It's going to be such a transformational week. I'm so excited already. And if you are interested in learning more, you can go to the link in either of our social bios or head over to Vanessa's website at vanessabennett.com. And we have payment plans available for this one as well. Yeah, definitely hit me up on email if you want to know more about that. We are super excited and we hope to see you all there. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. Welcome back, everybody. A little Q&A session today on Cheaper Than Therapy. So I've got a good question for you, Danae. You ready? I'm ready. Okay. So this person wrote, psychologically, how come a person can feel that someone is too good for them? Is it childhood trauma, not feeling good about themselves, lack of self-worth, question mark, question mark, question mark? (laughs) 
I mean, this one to me, psychologically, and I love that she used that word. <laughs> psychologically. Um, ends up being complex, right? I think yeah. that there are layers to this. First of all, I think it sounds like you're you're describing um, a woman said this in the it, response. Based on the image and the yes, it's a woman that asked the question. And it sounds okay. a little bit like maybe somebody said it to her. Yeah. Well, yeah. I don't want to, I'm sort of Assume. Like backtracking within myself, even as I say what I was about to say, like, I don't want to bring necessarily gender norms into this because I think this can be true. I'm like, I'm disagreeing with myself as I'm thinking. <laughs> You're like, just say the thing before you uh, have a conversation in your head today. Um, so what I will say is I think a lot of times when someone says that to someone, it is the difficult truth is that they don't want to be with that person. I think most people from my experience, and I'd be curious to hear your thoughts, don't necessarily have the conscious level of like recognition for themselves, like, oh, this person is too good for me. And so I'm going to make the decision to set them free and let them be with someone that, you know, is more suited to them for whatever reason. I think that if someone really wants someone, even if that is the case, I think a lot of times they will rise to the occasion and and try to figure it out. Right. But for whatever reason, I think that that is often a way that people attempt to lessen the blow is sort mm -hmm. of like make this a little bit. It's not <laughs> me. It's you. Um, yeah. To quote, you know, what you guys often talk about, but I don't know. I'd, I'd just be curious to hear what even me saying that brings up for you. No, I mean, I, I agree with you. I mean, to your point, not to gender it, but I, I feel as though more often than not, I hear this. I hear women speaking about this term mm -hmm. as something that like a man has said to her uh, as a way to, to your point, like not to date or to like break up or to even not even to date to start with. Right. Um, and I think you're right. Maybe it's something that's used to like soften the blow because it's really hard to just look someone in the face and say, I don't want to date you. Um, I have also heard this within the context, personally, I've heard this within the context of a relationship with somebody who was really struggling with self-worth and substance abuse issues and the relationship wasn't going well. And so there was a, it was kind of thrown out in like, um, there was some vitriol behind it, you know, it was thrown out like, well, you're too good for me anyway, mm. kind of a thing. And it wasn't actually said in a moment of breaking up or trying to break up, um, but it definitely was said in, I think, a defensive way. Like, I'm, I don't know that I'm willing to or have the capacity at this moment in my life to do the inner work that would be required for this relationship to potentially thrive and be healthy. And so I'm going to almost use that as like an excuse to stay stuck in whatever I'm still clinging to being stuck in. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so that to me is, it's interesting that you're talking about someone in a moment of, you know, they are struggling with substance abuse and maybe like a, a deeper layer of honesty comes to the surface, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. I mean, I think you and I talk a lot about when somebody is in a state of active substance abuse, right? Like kind of what their, I guess like what their capacity is truly in the moment when they are still actively hiding behind something um, that kind of keeps them from, I don't know, accessing themselves or really truly actually connecting with somebody else, right? Because I think you were probably the first one that ever told me, and I mean, I've heard it since, but you were the first one that was like, uh, you know, this person's in a relationship with something else. It's just not you, 
right? Like they're already in an intimate relationship. Really what's happening is you're kind of in a three-party system here. You're like the third wheel in the relationship and this person's already in another relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, again, if we bring it into what you're saying about like substance use, I think there are ways that like the ego defenses will come to the surface and it might look like, you know, I'm a piece of crap, right? And so the ego is funny because the ego is identification with form in the sense of like, I am superior or inferior versus Mm -hmm. like, I am connected to everyone, right? So that thing of like, I am nothing, I am worthless is also ego. Um, But I think that it's that thing of like, if I have the conscious, um, awareness of this person is somehow quote too good for me. I think a lot of times, if that is what I really feel, I think that the ego will sort of defend against actually saying that to that person. Do you know what I mean? Like, unless it's in a moment of like, maybe like the way that you're describing, but the ego will defend against even recognizing it for myself. Like I will, what that person is mirroring to me, I will think this person is annoying or I'll think this person Mm. is boring or I'll think this person is like momming me or whatever. Right. Like I'm trying to think of like examples of the ways that I hear that show up, but it's not normally like, no, she's perfect. I would love to be with her, but I'm just not worthy. That's not how the mind sort of structures that consciously. That might be like the deeper layers of what I'm defending against seeing. But I don't think like for most people, that's how it shows up. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it doesn't show up in like the most genuine form. It does show up in like a defended. um, Well, like I said, there was vitriol in the way it was said. Right. It's more of a it's more of a fuck you than Mm. anything. And and it might not be necessarily always spoken with that level of vitriol. But it but there is like that kind of undertone, I suppose, Mm. to it, at least in my example. And um you know, even in the example of somebody using it to kind of get out of dating somebody, <laughs> I feel like it's still used as a way to not say to this person, like you were saying, like, I find this person annoying or I find this thing annoying or whatever. It's a way to not have to be honest. It's a way to not have to like really own your part too and like say the thing and be and be clear. Well, that's another thing that I've heard male clients speak to that I think is kind of interesting that I had never really thought about much as a woman, but what it is for a man to reject a woman, because Mm. men can often be very afraid, I find, of women's emotions. And well, first of all, they're, um, you know, sort of like primal instinctually, men are afraid of being shamed by a woman in the same way that we are afraid of being hurt or killed by a man. Those are like our guttural... um, gendered instincts to defend against one another. So if I reject her in some way, she might say something that is like deeply hurtful about me as a man. And again, some of these things are like the subconscious fears, but, um, but that I don't know, like what she's going to do. Is she going to freak out? Is she going to like, I don't want to like be confronted with the, the pain in a woman's eyes as I, I hurt her in that way. And some of that is like mother wounding stuff, like what Mm. it feels like for a man to see a woman in like pain that he has caused. And so I think it's speak on that though. Speak on that a little bit more when you say that's like the mother, mother wounding stuff. Yeah. I think that there's like a, a lot of times like the connection to the mother wound is like, I have to keep women comfortable, like safe with me, not upset with me, or I could be abandoned by that like um, matriarchal energy. And so there's a way that I think, you know, men will sort of like tell women 
what they want to hear. Like, it's a little bit like good happy wife, right? like, happy life kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and it's like, it's interesting because so many of these things are like the subconscious layers mm-hmm. of what's happening that I don't even think they're like consciously like, well, I don't want to upset her. But I do hear men speak to, and we've talked about this, um, how afraid they can be of m- mm-hmm. women's emotionality, which is a lot of why we as women have so been like conditioned to not be too much or not be too emotional because, you know, a woman having any sort of a response to something like let's let's take it to you how often when people are talking about like ghosting, right? Um, I was listening to some man talk about how so often the chase for men in current society becomes like they get so carried away in like, can I land this woman mm. that they don't sort of think about taking the time to, but do I want to land this person? Like, yes, like she's attractive. I would like to sleep with her, but is that someone I would want to build a relationship with? Right. So they do all of this like dance of courting, which is like, you are amazing. I like see you. I'm present with you. All of these things with which for us as a woman, and obviously I'm speaking heteronormatively in this example, but feels like, oh, this is all of the things. He really sees me. He's really present with me. I'm so aroused by this. And we start building like the potential of where this could go. They oftentimes are just trying to land the deal, right? So once they've landed it and they are now with this person, it's like, oh, she's like, she's intense or she's boring. Or maybe on the subconscious level, like, she's not a good fit for me and where I am in my life. And I don't see us going anywhere together or like it's not a cultural fit or whatever the reason is, but I don't want to tell her that because she's going to be upset. And, you know, I think Taylor Swift talks about this a lot. Like, so if we've been doing- You heard it here first, people. (laughs) I'm like, I'm going to go ahead and quote Taylor Swift. (laughs) A depth therapist (laughs) quoting Taylor Swift. Listen- Taylor's got some young woman wisdom. I mean, listen, I'm like, she's, she represents a lot of the collective unconscious. So I'm here for listen. it. Listen, <laughs> that's right. Um, but so if, if a woman says, you totally like led me to believe yeah. that you were really into me and this is bullshit. And like all of a sudden you're pulling back and whatever. Um, now I think this is like that whole like fuckboy conversation. And you know how I get very like, is he a fuckboy? Or did you guys just like move a little bit faster before you felt a level of emotional safety? Is that on him or is that on you? Like it's a dance between both people. Mm-hmm. But I feel like oftentimes the like, you're an asshole and you're just like using women for Trying sex to get or laid. whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Is where women go with that. And I don't think that's necessarily consciously what men are doing a lot of times. It's just like, oh, she's pretty. She's cool. I'd love to like land this. But then when it gets in the realness of like, is this actually someone I could see myself building a relationship with? It's like, oh, I don't know. Maybe not. So I pull back, but I'm terrified of what her response is going to be to that. Mm-hmm. So I ghost her or I just like, maybe Plaky if I her just like skirt too good away, for me. <laughs> she'll get the message or I say, oh, like, you know, I've got all this stuff going on in my life. I'm like mm-hmm. swamped or whatever. And you're too good or whatever the thing is. Um, I think is a lot of times how men might skirt around that. Okay, I'm laughing. I'm, I've been sitting here smirking this whole time because I'm thinking you basically <laughs> just described me in my 20s. And so mm. even to like flip the gender on its head, I actually don't think it's as simple to just say like the guy does this and the girl does that. And that's how they respond because I was a fuck girl all through my 20s. And for me, it was all about landing it. Had nothing totally. to do with that person. Had nothing to do with whether or not I wanted to be in a relationship with that person. And then once I landed them, and usually what happened is they fell in super quickly. And then I was doing the thing where I was like ghosting or trying to figure out how to get out of it. And that was 
99% of the time in my 20s, that was me doing that Well, and so that's an interesting point, though, because that's same. But what I will say is that's often the dance of the avoidant attachment style. And what it is, is, you know, the emotional intimacy is overwhelming to the avoidant, right? So yeah, but I never actually wanted the relationship with that person is what I'm saying. Like, I, I I didn't understand. I just wanted the sex. (laughs) But Yes. And right. And listen, like we're talking about like there's layers to what that is, right? Like that's the surface level of what was happening. But underneath that, it's like the reason I'm even pursuing something with someone and not that we shouldn't want to have like casual sex. That's not what I'm saying. But if that's a pattern of like, this is what I'm doing, Mm -hmm. there's some like payoff in that. I'm getting some sort of hit of self-worth every time someone um, wants me. And every time I get the hottest guy in the room. Yeah, but that's yeah. about like, I feel worthy when someone wants me. So the mm-hmm. codependent or the more anxious attachment energetic gets a hit of self-worth whenever I'm needed. The hyper-independent avoidant gets a hit every time I am wanted, right? So that's still like two sides of the same coin. That's about like not a grounding sense of self within. And listen, this is not me. I did very much a similar thing in my 20s, but it's it's about like me getting a hit of like, oh, I'm worthy because, ah. <sighs> I've been chosen again by someone. Now get away, right? Because Mm -hmm. beyond that being chosen is staying in the space of, and now we have to like see each other Mm -hmm. and be in deeper layers of intimacy. And if you see me there, you might see something you don't like, or you might see some of the things on a deeper level that I think about myself that I don't want people involved in. And so it's much easier to just move on to the next level of um, the The next person wanted. (laughs) Okay. So here's something I'm, I'm not, I don't know really how to articulate it. And I guess we've somewhat diverted from the question, but this is what we do. So as you were talking, I was thinking, obviously codependency is my jam. I talk all about it, yada, yada. Like I own all my codependent shit, very aware of it all. Mm-hmm. And obviously we always talk about how codependency and hyperindependence are kind of two sides of the same coin, right? The wound is really similar and it's the same as like the not enough wound and the being too much wound being two sides of the same coin. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking how many times we've talked about how there's always like, there can never be one codependent in a relationship, right? Like that's not how it works. Like you can't have one person codependent, one person super secure. And that that just doesn't work that way. Both people are exhibiting their codependency, maybe in different ways, but they're both showing up codependently. Right. And I was thinking, do you feel like with and I've had the reason why this came up is because I've actually had two people in the last maybe six months ask me a similar question. Do you feel like somebody can go in and out of both? So like swing from codependency to hyperindependence, codependency to hyperindependence, and kind of embody both characteristics or both sides of that coin. Um, because as I mean, God, I've heard these words a gazillion times, and for some reason in this moment, I was just thinking how being wanted was always my thing, right? And mm-hmm. probably still my thing. Because I know I'm more on the avoidance side. I know I'm more on the hyper-independent side. I definitely get a hit from being wanted. Now being needed makes my skin crawl. And I have mm-hmm. an aversion to being needed. Now, I don't know if that's just different from having a kid, like if that's changed just since having a kid. But there is something about being needed that makes me squirm. Whereas being wanted, I'm like, hell yeah, bring it on. Well, so we're talking about, well, there's layers. Talk about a lot of things. Yeah, we're talking about a lot of things. There's 20 questions in one. Go. Because, well, let me say this first. I'm going to respond to 
being needed in a certain way makes your skin crawl. What I've experienced, and I hope this is okay, is your bestie. Like I will say, I have seen being needed in terms of like, I get a hit off of being needed in terms of like the things that I do for people. And I am, and this is like the overfunctioner, right? Like I am needed because I am trustworthy because I get shit done. That's a little bit of like that, like that's the codependent energy of like, yeah, that makes me feel good in a different kind of way. Now you like being sort of like engulfed by someone and you belong to me, that is more like where the avoidant energy comes in. And like, that's too much. Like when someone like wants all of you and wants like more and more of like me, like, you know, engulfing your body or whatever that looks like. I think that that is where that probably is like, get away from me. But there's, there's different ways. My point is that like our, our codependency shows up. But what I think you're speaking to when you talk about hyper-independence and codependency being two sides of the same coin is to me, they're both about control. Right. So if we're in an interdependent space, I am in the space of faith and trust. And it's not that I don't quote need anyone, but the need of um, something outside of myself is not like what I reach for. I reach for like my trust in myself. I trust in my relationship with source energy. I trust in life itself because we control what we don't trust. And so if I don't trust life, I feel like I need to control the people around me. Hyper-independent people control people by keeping them away from them. Codependent people control people by attempting to keep them close to them. Yeah. So it's like, it's the same thing. It's just a different form of a defense mechanism. You know what I mean? I'm defending against the lack of trust that I have in life and that Mm -hmm. life will unfold as it is meant to. So I need to control the external. I need to control other people in order to feel safe, either by keeping them close to me or pushing them away. Yeah. And do you feel like somebody can kind of like swing between the two sides? Totally. I think most people, to be Mm -hmm. honest, I absolutely. And I think there's so many factors that that influence that, right? Mm -hmm. So I tend to be more on the avoidance scale. I will say if I am like really attracted to someone who runs really avoidant, my anxious energy will come to the surface and we've seen it (laughs) blows my mind. Right. Uh Absolutely. And so I think that's true of most people. I think the way that we are in singlehood can be very different than we are relationally. I think that I can, as a single woman tend to lean a lot more in the space of hyper-independence. It's almost like a, a defense that like gets built and sort of like you, you feel more comfortable in that space. When I was in a long-term marriage, there was a lot more codependency because there's just like, there's ways that we start to function because it's like we fall into patterns. So mm-hmm. absolutely. And I think in different really, like our, our relationship sometimes can, you know, we'll name it, that we can mm-hmm. be sort of codependent and like our underfunctioner overfunctioner dynamics. Um, but the thing, if if we understand that none of these energetics are static, are fixed, they're yeah. sort of fluid, they'll like move and and shift and we can bring it into our consciousness and and change it. And we do that sometimes. It'll be like, oof, I'm really like, I'm allowing you to overfunction for me. Let me step in and do that. Then we sort of shift the energy of what's happening. But it's mm-hmm. like bringing the conscious awareness of like, oh, that's where I am in this energetic spectrum right now. Yeah, I think that is something that I, I feel like I try to speak to a lot. Like I... I I hate when people say like, oh, I am anxious or I am avoidant or I am. It's like, well, that's just not how it works. I mean, I might be able to say I have green eyes and like that's fixed. But (laughs) outside of that, you know, it's 
it's just not that simple. And I know as humans, like we want things to make sense. We want them to be in a specific box and, you know, to have a bow on them. And that's just not life. It would be easier if it was, but that's just not how it is. I think regardless of if I'm showing up in more of a hyper-independent way or if I'm showing up in more of a codependent way or if I'm showing up more anxious or more avoidant or all of these dances, Hmm. what is it feeling like in your body, to your point, to go back to this feeling of trust, right? I think trust and inner knowledge and inner reliability, um, you know, intuition, like knowing thyself, I think really like that's the crux of it, right? Because if I'm functioning from that space, from a space of trust, trust that things are going to work out the way that they need to, trust that I don't need to control anybody else, trust that I don't need to beg anybody else, like all of the ways these kind of manifest and behaviors. If I can use that as my goalpost, right? My, my light marker, whatever you want to use it as, um, then I can ask myself, like, am I showing up authentically right now? Am I showing up as my highest self right now? You know, am I acting out kind of bad behaviors, bad habits, those kind of things? Um, and I don't think it needs to be so like, oh, I am being this, this thing right now. Yeah. And there's no judgment when you understand it as energy and Mm -hmm. that like we, um, are being impacted by the energy of those around us, but our work is to bring it into conscious awareness Mm -hmm. so that I can sort of say, Oh, like I need to contain what the energy in this room is bringing up for me versus attempting to like pull that energy from that other person in order Mm -hmm. to feel safe or, you know, like that becomes our work. And that's Mm -hmm. a lot of why to me interdependence is, you know, a little, a lot of times like people will say like, yeah, but like we need each other. And it's like, we do, but a lot of ways that we think about what it means to need other people are really, from my perspective, taking away from our ability to really build a solid foundation of like, I am okay within Mm -hmm. myself and Mm -hmm. I trust in my ability to like stay in my skin. And that's, that's work that we have to cultivate for ourselves. Yeah. I, I posted something, uh, yesterday from one of our retreats and it was me talking about, um, you know, like making what I call like the short term, short term gain versus long term gain choices. And so, especially once these things start to come into consciousness, you know, it's like you can't unsee what you've seen. And so when you're in a space of like, you have that pause that you've worked so hard to build and you're in that state of pause and you're like, okay, in this moment, I can either do the thing that I've always done, which like, let's say people pleasing, right? Um, Or let's say not rocking the boat, which technically is a form of people pleasing, but that is like the short-term gain, right? Versus the long-term gain would be to like speak up, say the thing, rock the boat and trust that things will fall where they're supposed to fall, right? And I was talking in, in this clip about how consciousness is everything though, because sometimes you are going to be in a moment where you're like, I'm going to do the thing. Like I'm going to, I'm going to do the short term thing. Cause right now in this moment, life is fucking hard. Making the hard choice feels too big, too insurmountable. It's too much on my nervous system, whatever the reason is. Right. And I'm just saying, I was like saying in that clip, like we've got to take the shame away from that because consciousness is really the key. Like as long as in that moment you are aware, I'm doing this thing, I'm making this choice and I know why I'm making this choice. There's no shame. Like you didn't do anything wrong, right? Like, like inner growth and this idea of like self-awareness is not, it's not linear, right? There's no right and wrong answer to it. And every time we make that short-term gain, as long as we can say like, well, there's learning in this, like, let me sit with why I did that. And you know, what was the purpose and all of these things. And so it was just funny because I was thinking about how 
they're kind of connected in this idea of going back to like knowing the self and, and understanding like, why am I making this choice right now? Um, it just all boils down to that. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny. I like, I totally agree with you. And it's, it's interesting because, you know, we talk a lot about like, there are certain things that once you see, you can't unsee them. Mm-hmm. And I think we have to, you know, I think what you're really good about a lot of times is like, saying like, <laughs> like similar to when I became a vegan, for instance, like my personality can just be like, once I see something, I'm like, ah, like throw all the stuff off the table. Like, let's just go for it. I'm done. And I feel like you can be really like the, the rational. Okay. Well, let's titrate into this change. Let's do this in a way we're not like blowing up our lives. Like, um, which I think is really important because I don't know, it's, I, it's not like either is right. Like, I think you like take the plunge or you like do it in a mm-hmm. way that like feels like I've planned and I'm going to like figure out how to do this. But I'm saying all this to say, I think something that like you hear people talk about in 12 step communities a lot of times is like drinking with a little bit of AA in your brain isn't as much fun as it used to be. Right. So like right. once I'm aware that I'm doing the thing of totally pleasing or abandoning myself, it's Ugh, the I know feeling this. of doing it when you're doing it, right. you're in it and, and you're watching yourself and you're like, ew, why am I yeah. doing this? <laughs> so it just, it feels a little totally. different. And I think sometimes that will be the little push to like mm-hmm. get there a little bit sooner. But to your point, there's no shaming ourselves mm-hmm. because that's actually counterproductive and we're ready when we're ready, but mm-hmm. it does feel a little bit less comfortable to do the thing of people pleasing or not having boundaries or not saying the thing when we're well aware, this is what I'm doing, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just funny. I'm, it's, I like to call it pragmatism. I'm very pragmatic. <laughs> <laughs> pragmatism. We got in this whole conversation at our last retreat about how practical is like my least favorite word in the English language. And so many of the women like were like, well, Vanessa would say, and and I think practical is, and I was like, I'm just saying how I feel about the word practical. Y'all can use it. Love it. It's just not my favorite word. Okay? I'm, a no judgment. I'm very grounded. I'm very like, listen, we've got to weigh both sides. And like, it's not realistic. And like, that's just that maybe awesome. your Libra energy. Um, that's true. I'm, but you're Libra. We both have a Libra moon. So why are you well, hate practical? I'm Capricorn. Like I'm super earth, but like, I just also am like. I think it might be my Capricorius, but once I'm like clear on this is what I want to do, I'm like, and I'm out. Yeah. Also might be a little bit of that compulsive personality because John's very similar too. Like, oh, ice baths. Okay. I'm going to do this 10 times a day every day from now on because now it's my thing. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to put an ice bath in front of our house. It would be beautiful. Don't you think it would look good with the aesthetic? No, no, I don't. Slow your roll. You can put it in the backyard. It doesn't need to be a fixture in my driveway. Like that is, you two are so the same in that way. Our, I mean, yeah, but maybe we just trust in our decisions. Like, I, you know, I feel like, remember like when I got married, I still sometimes like, we're on a tangent now. I still sometimes think about like how women are like, you know, like trying on 50 dresses. I'm like, eh. That one, like, I just, I don't know. I don't overthink. It's just like, it is what it is. Once I know, I'm clear. Yeah, I don't know. I'm like, I've never done the wedding dress search, but I I don't think I would do the 50 dresses because that just feels overwhelming for my nervous system. I'd be like, bring me five. This is all I'm going to look at. And then I would definitely go crazy trying to pick between the five, but I wouldn't do 50. Oh, (laughs) shudders. Yeah, don't go crazy. I let you think about it for me. I let you function while I under function. I'm just kidding. Spray me the champagne. (laughs) That's all. There you go. (laughs) Well, I hope you guys enjoyed our bird walking. And that that's helpful for you. Like, what was the question? (laughs) I feel a little bit like John right now. We just did a John podcast. I know. Well, until next time. 
Thanks for joining us for this episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to share it with a friend, subscribe, and give us a five-star review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to connect with us more, find us on Instagram at Cheaper Than Therapy, the podcast. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.